Hi folks, I'm Alan Watt and this is CuttingThroughTheMatrix.com You can also find me at AlanWattSentientSentinel.eu and a few other sites. You probably have noticed that when you punch into the com site you'll be diverted to uh, other main sites I have. And this is because so many people across the world are now downloading lots of the information I've given out and it's uh, spreading like wildfire. Today is July the 4th, 2007. Tonight I'd like to talk about perceptions and logic and how we arrive at what we think are our conclusions. Conclusions are reached through comparing personal experience, education, indoctrination, learned behavior against new events, really. The trouble with this type of arrival at the conclusion is that if the erroneous indoctrinations are to the front and if the current trends of the day which are often massive propaganda are to the fore we will arrive often at someone else's erroneous conclusion we do live in a world of mass disinformation mass disinformation which sometimes is put out on purpose other times it's done by people who themselves have been caught up in erroneous conclusions and always remember because something is said often doesn't mean it's true we have a tremendous tendency to go into the past and this is a, a happening and an occurrence that happens towards the end of an age philosophers and historians know this they know that when you go through history from very early times and you see the rising of what they call civilizations which really is a form of moneyed commerce rule with the creation of armies and the building of ultimately empires and then watching those things which occur when empires crumble and fall empires tend to crumble and fall when they run out of enemies then there is tremendous class warfare the class warfare always ends up with an elite and a middle class which is really at the helpers of the elite uh, trying to eradicate, eliminate the lower classes through standard methods which keep getting repeated down through history when Rome fell 
for instance, the Roman Empire, it wasn't simply a matter of invasions from outside. The Roman Empire lived, like all empires ultimately do, on massive taxations, not of only of their own people, but of the conquered countries they had gone into. When they reach uh, Zenith, the peak of their power, they then begin to degenerate through massive corruption. And greed is addictive. There's never enough. It's like cocaine. The first high is the best, supposedly, and everything else is on a dwindling scale, regardless of the quantity they use. Greed is the same, so is the the hype for sexual fulfillment. It becomes deviant during the deviant period of the downfall. But Rome also fell because it had taxed all of its uh, dominions, the conquered countries, into utter poverty and ordered that the ultra-elite in Rome could not only continue at a high standard of living but go into amazing, utterly amazing perversions of what we would term luxury ever-expanding massive pools and idol-making just for admiring uh, at parties and that kind of thing big shows, massive parties that was part of the reason it fell part of the reason it fell too was that they taxed the rural peoples who supplied them with everything they needed food, materials items which were made and so on they all went into the city which technically produces nothing except debt and ultimately perversions in its later stages and the rural peoples rose up to help finish it off when they had enough they had no choice in the matter these sequences are always repeated down through ages and yet the elite of each period don't perish they move very often they move before the country or the city in which they reside falls and they've already set up the next beginning, the embryo of the next empire now you'll hear me on shows where people go into reptilians and all this kind of thing where they take allegories as fact and become mixed up with it all because people tend ultimately to go into religion which again they take as fact and even some who, who understand as esoteric meanings involved and allegorical meanings involved they also still go back and take some of the exoteric because their minds try to compare information to something from the past and we often think the past must be true if we just get an ultimate history on something but no or an ultimate religion or the first religion 
or their first language, etc., we, we tend to think that somehow the secret is in the past. Now, the secrets of deception certainly are in the past, and much of it can be uncovered if you do a diligent search through history. But even the ancient historians of Greece and other countries had to admit that they didn't have all of the information of any beginning. The same went for the religion makers in early Judaism and going into even the Talmud. Then the Talmud really was begun in Babylon and continued. But they had to admit that no one could know God. What they meant by that was no one could describe God. Any description would be human attributes put onto something which was beyond the human. There's a truth in there because humans would tend to, if they could, always create a God in their own image, something which they could relate to. That's why on the exoteric level of the New Testament or the Old Testament, you have a deity that's kind of like a, an angry father, something human which they could relate to with rules and laws for children. It isn't until you come to the Hellenized version or, or Christianity where they brought in other attributes from a Hellenic world. The Hellenic world, the Greek world, at that period they came in with Alexander the Great, brought with it an opposing side of the Yahweh God that the the sometimes unstable father figure and they brought in a feminine side too because they had female gods as well which were very popular back in ancient Greece with the alma mater and so on therefore in the New Testament you have a deity which still has laws and rules but there's a loving side to this god and a forgiving side whereas the Old Testament God seems to be rather severe in judgments. Religion has always been used to control the minds of people, and it's only the very rare individual who can see through the exoteric to understand the esoteric, because there certainly is wisdom in all old religions on an esoteric level. And, and the wisdom is always to do, always on an esoteric journey, to do with an individual's journey themselves. That's why you would relate to it. The mass man or woman happens to be gregarious gregarious people like to group together and conform conformity means you give up individuality in the group that is why groups 
that are religious tend to be very severe themselves that take on a persona of the judgmental God. They don't like differences. They become fixed and set in their ways. They will have benefits for for members. They will have help and aid for uh, those in distress within the group. Although even those who are in hell and uh, distress within the group can be an embarrassment because the deity is supposed to bless in a materialistic way. This is how they see things, especially in Christianity today and Judaism. The deity is supposed to bless someone, and that's one of the signs of blessing is that you're prosperous, you do well, you appear to be happy. Most of them are not happy because they go through the same dysfunctional situations in relationships, especially with man and wife, as everyone else in modern day society. The ancients wrote about the mind. The third eye is very simple. As the exoteric people delve into what they think are mysteries, looking for pineal glands and other methods of stimulating the pineal gland and opening up a pathway that a knowledge will just flood into them. You earn knowledge by examining yourself. Because all knowledge ultimately must be within. It's a sad state when we can look around us and see that in many, many people, all they have is extraneous knowledge given to them, often misunderstood, misquoted, going from the simplistic to the bizarre. The mind is the third eye, because all perceptions ultimately must be deciphered by the mind of the person. That is why a trick of rulers in all ages and priesthoods who taught this to even pharaohs was that they could alter the perceptions of slaves and vast conquered peoples by getting between the mind of the person and their perceptions therefore their conclusions would be faulty purposely made so This was done through early indoctrination into superstitions. When the mind tried to formulate conclusions, the indoctrination would kick in and they'd compare the new experiences to to these indoctrinations and come to faulty conclusions which kept them enslaved and obedient. The serpent is an allegory for wisdom. Wisdom for what? The Egyptians wore the aureus, the cobra, on a band, a headband. The cobra 
sat in the forehead. The third eye. The idea being, and that is also a pun between the eyes and idea, the idea being that you are to guard your mind. Being a one who was wise and born into a wise family or class, an educated family or class, you would have wisdom. I've gone into the fact that primarily these high families were psychopathic in origin and interbred and therefore kept the knowledge to themselves because psychopaths must always try and gain power, total power over everyone else. That's our dilemma in this world. The serpent strikes and when it strikes ancient people used to wonder why would it let so many people pass a particular route or road or track and only strike the occasional person here or there in other words when anyone got too near to it too near is the key it would strike and defend itself an idea being that the so they used the serpent or the cobra which had this, this lightning strike to strike something it didn't want to come near it. They used that around the headband as a symbol that they would strike anything which tried to enter on unauthorized into their mind. It guarded the mind. The people around did not have the right to wear the aureus because they were the ruled in fact it was mandatory that they be open for all indoctrination all erroneous teachings superstition and so on the psychopath is so well understood as far as observation goes so much has been written upon their personalities their traits their categories of them that there's no real need to go into it in any great detail the snake also had been observed in ancient times to shed its skin every so often and to the ancients they thought that therefore the snake was immortal it was born again as it dropped off the old and had a new body they thought Therefore, it was a symbol of immortality. And when the aureus was worn on the headband, not only did it guard the temple, the upper room, 
the mind, but it also had what they called the wisdom of the ages, meaning the person who wore it had been initiated into and taught the histories and the sciences of the time. The sciences generally were to do with the mastery and the control of the minds of others, the vast populations. That they are psychopathic, there's no doubt. You can see the traits down through history, even to the extent where kings or princes would try and kill their fathers to take over and gain the power. That was fairly common. We don't find that all through society. We find it mainly in the upper noble families, if you go into their histories, in all countries. A king was in a precarious position. He generally was psychopathic himself, since we're all inbred and you take on the traits of special selection where your mates with the same traits are are bred with you. you. You, Just like animals, like Plato said, you can breed traits in or out. And when powerful people breed together, you're breeding the same traits in of power and the seeking and lust for power. Therefore, the kings were guarded and had to pay the guards very well high bribes knowing that the queen who might want her son to take over or herself to take over would do all she could to to bribe those guards with more and perhaps poison him or kill him in some other way because they lived in such a state of paranoia They were paranoid about everything, including all of those around them that they ruled over. Therefore, when there were grumblings amongst the people because the elite were taking too much from them, the paranoia would become incredibly acute and purges would be done on the people. They'd be killed or thinned out, culled to an extent, back to a manageable level. And in ancient times they did surveys, population surveys. You find that again in old religious books and so on, that the people were all numbered, because every so often they had to make sure they had enough guards, well-paid, well-fed military. Today it's military and police to do their bidding automatically when they're told to, instant obedience, when they turned them on the people if it should reach a magic number because they knew how many of the population on a percentage basis could be managed by each particular guard they knew and did surveys on this in ancient times therefore when the population went over a certain number they'd either start a war with a neighbour to start culling them off by enforcing them into the military or else they turn their military on the people this was standard down through history population control is nothing new at all and it's run by the psychopath who is also 
very paranoid a special position and privilege especially when you're feeding off everyone else would make a person paranoid the psychopath also has a trait of living on their own ego they're egocentric completely they don't feel guilt they will rationalize any act which they may do even if the rationalization sounds completely bizarre to normal people down through the centuries as empires grew and faded and moved to begin their embryonic new empire somewhere else always with a goal and always with the knowledge especially written about since the 14 and 1500s they knew they would reach a point because they employed the experts of their day always the philosophers the scribes and people who did statistics they did that all along down through history statisticians to keep control over everything but they knew they'd reach a point of global conquest in the 1700s many of the elite of Europe the whole of Europe met together in what we would term global meetings of the period to discuss saving themselves making sure that their own offspring would still be in charge two or three hundred years down the road they discussed the problems they foresaw what they did was to bring in many professors from universities this has been standard right up to the present time not just any professor but the best in their field mainly to do with philosophy sociology ethnologies all the experts we'd say to build think tanks which would work for them and keep their their fingers on the pulse of the people at all times we find the big authors in history and philosophy were employed by in ancient times kings and queens and now they're employed by big government agencies Carol Quigley who selected people for Rhodes scholarships for world government and who actually promoted and picked Bill Clinton and put him forward and others talked about this in his book Tragedy and Hope and what he writes in that book really is a type of lecture he'd give to these government agencies when they would call him in he had high clearance to very top agencies of government these unelected agencies and the military industrial complex 
and the State Department, the Foreign Affairs Department of the U.S. Britain had theirs too. They'd pull in one of the most famous being Arnold Toynbee. Now these people also had psychopathic traits. They could therefore advise how society was going, the problems that they could foresee, and ways by using historical past techniques that this could be thwarted or offset or squashed or diverted. Quigley goes into what he calls the symptoms of ages in that book where they go through a period of rural farming etc. which is the only real moral period of a nation's history then into the city-state creation where they still retain the values that came from the agricultural society and then the city-state becomes set on conquest the age of imperialism and then when its conquests are over because they've conquered most of what they can get they go into a, a period of recline and decline uh, they go into bizarre behaviors sexually with extravagances and and also with deviancies of all kinds as they have orgies of spending and parties and of course this all comes from taxation so they're in decline but they also go through towards the end um, periods of being unable to defend themselves initially they try to do all they can they put all their money into weaponry and getting bigger armies and trying to threaten anyone around them even though the ones attacking them they then turn this inwards on the people and start to cull them off because they realize that those down below are the ones who bear the burden of all taxation which is the wealth of the elite then they start culling them off they become paranoid of the people down below standard but they also go through periods of fear tremendous fear at this stage and and they bring back ancient what they call ancient superstitions and bizarre thinking we find always a resurgence back into nature worship as people have no more faith in the old gods they go into nature worship and pantheism They also go into the prevalent sciences of that period and will relate and almost fix on ancient beliefs onto the new sciences. Today we see it, since we live in an age of science and space exploration, as we're told, although most of it really is just to do with putting satellites up there which will control us all on planet Earth under the guise of exploration, Today we find that all the stuff of science fiction, which you remember is called fiction, science fiction, is wrapped in with old religions. And we have this bizarre outcome 
where people try to look at something such as a Nephilim, attach it on to space beings, which cannot look like the cows because obviously they come from somewhere else, so they're different, so you have reptilians and all this kind of stuff. And this is what happens at the end of an age, as people desperately try to rationalize the position that they're in and what they're facing. You can also have false ones out there who are promoting it at the top, because the elite also like to confuse the public. We found Eric von Daniken was promoted out there in the 70s to lead the whole generation round in circles and to prepare them for this phase with chariots of the gods and other books claiming visitations from space. And here's the proof of these Latin American rock carvings. And every major on the pl- uh, paper, on the planet newspaper and television published this stuff and promoted it as though it was fact, which tells you there was an organized scheme of acceptance and promoting this at the top. There was no questions asked. That's That was the giveaway. Until one little reporter from England eventually went into Latin America and to Mexico and he tracked down a little Mexican guy who was carving out these rock carvings for Eric von Daniken for a, a few pesos each. So Daniken wasn't only a very good con man, uh, promoted from the top, mind you, but he's also very, very cheap. But that kept people going in circles and circles for a long time. It also opened up possibility thinking. Well, if that could be true, then this could be true. And then you end up going through a whole series of possible truths that could be because you've allowed yourself to be trapped into a tunnel with a myriad of branches that come off it. It's called imagination. During World War Two, when the U.S. Navy and uh, brought in airstrips into some of the Pacific Islands and built these airstrips, in came a whole new culture, a different world to the native populations of those little islands. They suddenly had something called money there and, and physical items that were manufactured that they'd never thought of or even knew existed. They had an abundance for the first time of different kinds of foods come in, so much so that they stopped working and hunting and fishing. When the U.S. pulled out of those little countries, the people suddenly were devastated from this incredible plethora of goods that were generally dispensed willy-nilly, thrown at them almost, and they were back to where they had been before the Navy had come in. They, they tried to rationalize it according to their religion, their old religions. And they came up and were called the cargo cults because they, they began cults thinking that if they just prayed to their old deities, these skybirds would come back in again and land with all the goods and give them all the goods that they'd had for a short time. They'd bring new stuff with them. They call them cargo cults. 
the desperation brings incredible bizarre rationalizations again according to what we previously believe or have been taught or educated to believe when the US Indian populations were being decimated by the cavalry eventually in some of the bands they looked for their own form of messiah they'd already been tainted with the Christian religion because wherever you see the Christian religion was was never a reality I didn't say the message was never a reality the religion was never a reality the message was supposed to free individuals from what was a mass culture of rigid indoctrination the religion wherever the religion went brought the system of commerce with it commerce, money, banking wealth and poverty that's why wherever Christianity went from England they made a big push towards sending out missionaries in the 1800s and the 1900s abroad it was really to further the British Empire because with it came a military behind them eventually to make sure that the system itself was imported not just the actual New Testament therefore native cultures had to start dressing up not only dressing up but dressing up the way that the missionaries dressed up and they wouldn't be happy those missionaries until these new converts were carrying briefcases and short hair and talking facts and statistics and investments that was called Christianity it's a culture that was brought along a system that's why it's been so effective and that is why whenever the military goes into a country to conquer you find a plethora of missionaries are sent along with them to alter the culture into the same as the British or the American there is no doubt that much of history we know in fact that much of history is kept from the public what history we're given is his story you see whoever writes it who is authorized to write it and there's more misleading goes on by the omission of facts than the addition of facts
If you have the omission of facts, you'll reach faulty conclusions. It's not a difficult technique to use upon people. Prior to the 1500s, historians were employed by the kings or the queens to write glowing histories on that king or queen. And they did it very happily, since they were well rewarded. And that's why every every king and queen prior to the 1500s was wonderful, according to history. And yes, they might slaughter a few thousand here or a few thousand there, but on the whole they were jolly good fellows. That's how it's written, you see. That's how that's rationalized. Because no one would turn in a bad history to someone who was employing them, who also had the ability to chop your head off. It wasn't until the 1700s we began to get a little bit more factual in the histories. But never completely factual. The same goes today with democracies which took over the governing part, at least the work part, of running countries. Authorized historians are always put out there. The main ones are given access to certain archives to bring out more facts which stun the general reader and the general population and become very popular. There's always spins on it because no one will ever come out and tell you the real truth. They wouldn't wouldn't be authorized to, to do it. Author and authorized. It's no coincidence. What we boil down to is to look at what we see in life today. What do we see? Apart from the same system of money, power, and the misuse of it, and the domination of others, and the tragedy of collective um, societies where we're, we're treated as a collective for a tax-based, for armies that slaughter on a much larger scale, always an ever-increasing larger scale. And that's only the type of conventional slaughter you see. You don't see the slaughter wrought by inoculations which are tainted, deliberately so, or through high-tech weaponry, which is silent. We can be sure it's getting worse all the time. And far from freeing us, science is killing us. This brings us always back to the crucial point, and that is the nature of evil itself. To decent people, and by decent I, I, I'm talking about those who don't want to go out and harm people. Even though this world, even at the bottom level today, is so corrupt, everyone technically is exploiting everyone else. And even if you try to stay out of it, you're still being used to exploit. Because if you don't somehow survive in this managed system, you go under and no one helps you up. People are judged still by their status 
their financial status in this system. I've had better conversations with vagabonds than I have with most professors. And learn more too. But what is the nature, the nature of this evil? And that's where the average person who is fairly normal can't go. He can't cross over into a mindset of someone who is what we used to be called diabolically evil. And what does that mean, diabolically evil? Diabolos, devilishly evil. And that there's so much cunning there that it can fool people en masse. And that's what politicians are there to do. They're psychopathic. Their job is to fool you en masse. It works very well. Because the psychopath is a born actor. They feel no real emotion towards other people. They have no empathy with others. They have a great show of it, though, because they're actors. And to the psychopath, they will do whatever is expedient to do for their own personal survival. And such a flippant little short statement there, you've got to realize that when I say they'll do anything, I mean anything for their own personal survival. And if that was the eradication of whole nations, they would do so. Because being ultimate ego, pure ego, they must survive at all costs. From the lowliest to the highest psychopath, they will use whatever power is available around them, if they can. So little street psychopath doesn't have that kind of power he will use his friends, he'll use everyone around him until he can't use them anymore because they're broke or whatever, or they say no. But he's nothing bigger to call upon, whereas the ones at the top, you must remember, have arsenals of incredible weaponry, which they will use if they need to. How do they get away with this? It's simple. They count on the knowledge that most people, the normal people, judge the world and the actions of those who lead the world by their own standards. In other words, well, if I couldn't do that, then what I'm hearing about this elite is impossible because no one could be that bad. They think that I, me, you see the microcosm, is the same all out there in the macrocosm. They take it for granted that everyone must have the same feelings, the same inbuilt social safety locks that would stop them going overboard with tyranny or slaughter or evil 
And that's why the elite do get away with it because they are so vastly different in their psychological makeup that they can do these incredible things. They can pull off the biggest stunts in history in front of millions of people worldwide, point the fingers at their targets, and the public will never say, well, no, our own people couldn't possibly have done this to make this all happen, surely, because I couldn't do that. I'd blush, I'd blink, I'd give it away somehow, and these guys don't do that. They come out and tell massive whoppers of lies, And that very act makes it more unbelievable to the public that they could possibly be lying because, because the public couldn't do that. Very, very simple. And that's why Goebbels, who was a propagandist for Adolf Hitler, being a good little psychopath himself, and they'll love to boast eventually, even stated himself that if you're going to tell a lie to the public, make sure it's a really big lie. It's because they'll never figure it out. They can't imagine anyone telling such a big, big lie. The Joe Average can understand little, little lies that they use in their own personal lives, the little white lies, but they can't imagine anything being pulled off on that kind of scale. There's a type of uh, level they can reach and no more. That's why the study of the psychopath should be taught to every single person in the planet in order to recognize them. And it isn't just that they're all through an upper elite social strata through inbreeding to get those traits. We also have the aberrant ones all through society on every level. Some of the brighter ones end up serving the higher psychopaths. They're selected for it because they do worship only one thing, and that's someone who's more powerful. And they will worship that person with almost religious fervor. That's why the dictator is surrounded by groveling admirers who are all tyrants within themselves and by their own standards, and by society's standards. But they do worship the leader, the chain of command, military. It's a military setup, you see, like the Knights of Malta, or the Knights Templars, or all the other knights. Knight, when you speak it, is K, a silent K. But if you speak it, you've got K-Knight, and that's no coincidence. Because the allegorical figure of Cain, which has multiple allegories contained within, is their system, their system putting into allegorical form through religion for themselves to understand while the elite worship the exoteric. came and on to 
supposedly found cities, and he was in. So he was also in Nimrod, you see, really. All allegories. And also, he was the first artificer, the scientist who made things, weaponry. As Nimrod, he creates the first city, the first artificial beehive where you recruit and train people into what you call a civilization. And the civilization runs on money because it can, can't support itself any other way. It, it doesn't grow its own food, even. It must make sure that everyone else uses that money, therefore they get an army, pay the army with the money, and go out and conquer the rural people around them. Then they tax all their labor from them. Old, old system. And you see, the city is a habitat, it's an artificial beehive. If you look down through history, you'll see a sequence, as I say, of ever-expanding city-states, which were empires eventually, moving the base headquarters around down through time. And each time they would go into a country to take it over and dominate they would then start forcing the rural folk into cities, habitat areas. Under the grand finale, the United Nations, the UN, the one UN-UN, that would be the final culmination of conquest, the clearing of the land, and the habitat areas become prisons. The elite won't live in those habitat areas, of course. Same pattern all down through time, because it's easier to control people in containment than when they're all scattered all over the place. And people who are tied to the land that feeds them tend to be very resistive to new ideas that become made popular. So what is evil, which is live backwards, of course? Eve, amongst its many different meanings, of course, and you see Eve gets the blame for everything, the female. And what they really mean by that is the emotional, intuitive part. Emotion being that of the normal person, not just woman. That's why you also have the belief in evolve. Evil, evolve, evolve. You have meanings within meanings. It would take forever to explain them all. But what we can see and what's easily to under, understood is that the same system with the same traits has gone on down through history. Go in, conquer, push the people into cities, 
get them all into commerce, paying taxes, using money, and using all that to get bigger armies to conquest the next bunch, and so on and so on, and get them into their happy habitat cities until we're at the final culmination of a totally controlled society where the one big worry of all elites, and it's a mistaken worry, by the way, but they don't see that because they're creatures of instinct. That's one thing. When you understand a psychopath, you can predict what they will do because their particular logic, you can actually understand it, how their patterns work. And they, they think that by conquering the people and totally taking their mind from them so that they won't need religion, indoctrination, or a boogeyman or a god watching you all the time and knowing your thoughts, in other words, making you police yourself, you'll be chipped in the brain, you won't need entertainment, you won't need propaganda, fiction, or fantasy, or anything else to keep you running in circles and checked. You will you'll be not conscious. And that's their big mistake, because the psychopath who lusts for power must have a victim to make him feel supreme. When the victims are gone and defenseless, they become irrelevant and a new target must be sought because psychopaths are also sadists. They will then turn on each other. They say there's no honor amongst thieves well, this is true of the psychopath. And they will turn on each other. Especially the lower realms, the skirts of the psychopath. The lesser people who helped them get this far. As they see the rest being eliminated, they know that they will, they will ultimately be next. And then the squealing starts. And then the accusations begin. And during all of that, they're still vying for power amongst themselves as they see the one throne of the world. And every psychopath wants to go down in history with his name chiseled in stone as the first of whatever it may be. But they can't all fit on the one seat. This doesn't mean you sit back and say, well, I'll let it all happen, because believe you me, when titans fight with the weaponry they have the little people are stomped into the ground at their feet all around if evil exists on the humanistic level which is always changing in itself relying on purely humanistic forms of logic without intuitiveness they're just as bad they come up with the same psychopathic conclusions in fact just another elitist group who would like to have more power because there's no doubt that evil is a tangible thing we have to ask questions lots of questions never mind can evil be controlled through self-will it certainly can be altered through experience of the transformation of a particular individual who will search inwardly 
for answers. Beginning with what is the purpose of life for that person. It doesn't matter what it is for anyone else. It doesn't mean you run off and hold your breath at meetings and get hypoxia and all the rest of it and start hallucinating or taking drugs to try and see things. If the truth is within you, only a search within will bring it out and not hallucinogenic drugs. Most people really in the whole New Age movement are looking for the thrill of the experience rather than the truth. What is it that makes people who can be trained to be good, good meaning the cultural norm promoted by the elite or for a period, what makes them men who work in all types of positions of commerce and trades what makes them obey during wars where they're conscripted what makes them obey to get up and join and go off and kill when they're not allowed to kill at home what makes them be proud to have killed abroad and take all the medals and talk about it for the rest of their lives. It's the only thing of import they ever did. Because it's a truth here that we've got to examine, which is very frightening. Either those people were natural killers in the first place, or they're all natural killers, and they only suppress it because of the fear of the consequences in their domestic lives and peacetime. Or a change comes over them, or they can be easily trained to do that which would be abnormal. That hasn't been fully debated. In fact, it hasn't even been partially debated amongst the public. Because obviously logic must always be logic, like a mathematical sequence. And the same figures must always add up to the same figures. Therefore, what is good and what is peaceful? Is it just the threat of reprisal and consequence by law? And the deprivation of their rights if they're locked up in prison or killed? that stops them from killing within peacetime societies. Because if that's the case, we are in a sad way. Those who protest and say, no, I won't kill, are definitely cleared from being psychopathic in their own personality. They will take the consequences of imprisonment and ridiculed by the society who is generally all for the war because now it's, it's good to be for the war they are the sheep two legs good, four legs bad four legs good, two legs bad or we'll talk about it in Animal Farm so those who protest the wars and will not kill and fight 
are either put in prison or they're put into a medical unit where they run across fields of fire with nothing but stretchers, knowing they'll take the worst of the, the fire. That takes a brave person to do that, knowing that they're being lined up for execution, really, in a sense. But they'd rather do that than go and kill someone else. But the rest, which is the majority, will do what they're told and be proud of it. And what I'm trying to tell you, it isn't just the elite that are the problem. We have to face the fact that the psychopathic trait is all down through the whole strata of society and perhaps might be the majority. We have to start at that point and that's terrifying for most people. It isn't just in the male population, we see it just as much in the female population today, albeit that the female certainly has had her share of attack purposely made through hormonal alterations and different things. In fact, road rage and many acts of aggression, now they're, they're overtaking the males. And, and a lot of this, there's been so heavily tampered with. However, that doesn't give everyone the right to say, I can do what I want, I've been made this way, and make someone else's life a hell. Does evil exist in an extraneous form? You have to go by your own experiences, and that's how I'm going to end this whole talk tonight, is all that counts, really, if you are the microcosm, all that will count ultimately are your own experiences. What have you experienced? What have you learned about yourself? And remember that because something is made popular or that allegorical terminology can be used, don't fall for the ridiculous or that which has been purposely cunningly made to be popular and heavily promoted for me personally does evil exist as a tangible thing I, I know it does for me because for me I've experienced it I wouldn't force anyone else to take this as a belief. As a belief, you're taking something on as faith. Or if someone's seen a reptile and it becomes popular and exciting, you're taking that on as faith. All I'm talking about is taking something on by knowing, by knowing you experience. I'm just talking about evil itself. Tangible evil that you have nothing in your memory to compare it to nothing in your other experiences to compare it to I have seen people do the most evil things 
but I've also experienced something which would be called supernatural. And even that I check against the fact I also know that there are so many advanced sciences out there that anything can be projected into your mind. And a lot of that now has been disclosed by government papers. So you have to take everything into consideration. As Madame Blavatsky said, the front person, who was really just an actress, put out there to promote part of the New Age to get a women's movement going, who would totally believe in the New Age, funded by the British government, as they fund all of these things and popular beliefs. Blavatsky said that the function of theosophy was to cross spirit with science. When you see the technology which can be made to project thoughts into your mind, which is openly declassified now, it's not possible science, like possible science or theoretical science, it's actual science, it's old science in fact, then yeah, when you do have experiences out of the norm, you have to question them. In times gone by, people like Wycliffe, who came out with a Bible, who was very good at what he did, a very eloquent man, who was eventually killed for it by the church, because it wasn't meat, as they say, ready, time, right, for the public to have access to something they could read themselves that would take power away from priesthoods. But he was being backed by the feudal lords who wanted more power themselves and to take the power away from the old church. So they goaded and prodded Wycliffe and flattered him until he saw himself as a very special person. This technique today is still used where now they can use sciences to give certain people the ideas that they are chosen or they, they're a messiah. And if someone has put thoughts in your heads and give you these odd experiences and you believed it, you could really be used very, very effectively because you'd never know yourself that science was behind this and very cunning men. Therefore, any experience that you have, you must check. And it must have more personal meaning than anything else, if it's real. But yes, there are forces out there beyond the sciences as they're used here. Not a lot of them. We mirror on, more on books than ever in reality. And such books sell very well because people want, they crave the understanding of this. They crave the, the, the need to believe in this, even though they'll never experience it generally themselves. Or if they do, it's on a lesser level. everyone can pretty well go through at least sometime in their life the ability to have slight telepathic power with those next to them or close to them and you think about them and they phone you and so on or you're ready to whistle a song and someone starts singing it at the same 
part of the song is you're ready to start whistling. These are minor telepathic abilities. Children have them and lose them as they're as trained out of them. However, not everyone loses it completely. And what is true beyond all of the sciences and all of the mysticism is that the power of a thought can truly penetrate everything. We must always bear that in mind. Yusuf said to guard your thoughts carefully, but it's also true that you must guide your thoughts carefully. There's tremendous power, tremendous power in a thought. It isn't just truth that's important, it's the it's the reason behind the truth. And only honesty with oneself can give you a clean power behind a thought. For many, many generations, you know, occasionally power and, and techniques and thoughts were passed on. Certain people could be trained in understanding the ways of the world in the hope that ultimate horror would never be achieved or at least it could be thwarted. However, those intergenerational psychopaths, and that's what it is, It's a trait inborn in them, uh, reaching the end where there will be no more generations with the ability to pass wisdom on to others. And that's why now, this time we're in now, is of the vital, most vital importance, where that which we value must be thought out quickly. And just how sacred life is must be spoken about and conversed about with it by everyone. Because if we devalue life, we devalue ourselves. We've got to understand that. We have to understand that. And we know that only in the last 30 years how fast life itself has been devalued. Something that at one time at least was held to be sacred Therefore, the heavy, heavy penalties for anyone who killed, excluding wars, of course, where it was authorized. We watched the medical profession go into a morass of vulturism and massive profit and exploitation, as all money and profit systems must devolve into. And with it, the convincing of populations that through this mass slaughter of abortion and the selling of organs and tissues and cells that are no longer sacred, they're just 
scientific things that can be explained devoid of all their mystery and uh, uniqueness. It's just a tissue, it's just a cell. A cell is just blah, blah, blah. It's stripped of all that was sacred. That's the purpose of science, to, to debauch everything. Even though those same scientists could never create anything from the beginning. They can only, as masons, take the material that already exists and alter it. But they cannot create it. And yet they're happy enough thinking they're gods at that level. But ego has no bounds. In my own life, I've witnessed the plummeting of the standards which once were held up as humane for society. I've watched the massive propaganda through television being put over on the people until, until they themselves begin to parrot it. And when they parrot it, they become debauched themselves in their own lives. as they become more and more what they think is humanistic but they don't even understand the term of humanistic because humanist religion is a religion it's still a belief system with the right of might and power and elite and intellectualism being in charge as it must always come to When one god is suppressed, or many gods are suppressed, human nature will always crop itself up again. It will always pop up in a different form. And when man worships man, then it's always the, the intellectual, the one that's promoted as being the genius. And that's not hard to do when you understand the techniques of creating a star. That's how Charles Darwin was created. No one had heard of him until the media, for about a year before of his, his, his book came out, pumped him up gradually as being an utter genius. Then his book came out and everyone already was prepared to believe it. That's how these techniques are used, as well understood. When man worships man, then you are truly not only in hell, but the fires are well burning, believe you me. They're burning all over the world, in the civilized countries. They've gone on about Adolf Hitler with his giant smokestacks. Every city in the civilization, as they call it, has more chimneys than Adolf Hitler could have dreamed of. And women have been taught... that removing a fetus, the dehumanized name for just a baby, as you must always demonize your enemy and dehumanize your enemy. Getting rid of a fetus is just like getting rid of a wart, they say. And that's what all of us have become. Just removable, disposable, 
tumors. Now remember that some of the shows I go on as a guest, I don't necessarily believe in what they do themselves. That's the hosts I'm talking about. I always advise people to go by their own experiences because ultimately that's all you can go on, not what's popular. Does evil exist? Yes, it does. Is it tangible? Yes, it is. It has to be investigated further by each individual. That's a journey most don't want to begin because you have to examine yourself first of all. And you might not like what you see, but to transform yourself you have to. To start the journey you have to. Those who want to be accepted by the mass man go by the popular beliefs. There's plenty being churned out within the bookstores for you to pick up. And you can do roller coasters across the universe and back again and round and round forever, and that's what they're designed to do. But you must think for yourself. From Hamish, my dog, and myself, it's good night, and may your God or your gods go with you. Oh,